I hate Samuel 6, but I am thankful that I kind of left you hanging. We just kind of introduced this idea of socialism uh, not being um, a pleasing thing in God's sight. And we closed with this illustration uh, from uh, William Bradford's history of the Plymouth um, Plantation. And uh, it really is a fascinating uh, little section. Uh, you can see uh, on the bottom of page 115 this quote. Uh, he kind of interrupts his story and, and says, By the way, um, we've learned something. And the Mayflower Compact... Um, basically declared that they would hold all things in common. Um, the idea of a commune, uh, that's what they set up. Uh, they signed that Mayflower Compact uh, on the ship as they were coming over. And now William Bradford, in his history, um, looks back over the couple of years and the disaster that they had uh, experienced with that form of ordering society. And he says it was a failure. And we should have known better because God told us in his word. Uh, and and he, he confesses. Um, I'm, I'm ashamed, I blush, uh, that we thought we were wiser than God. Uh, this is something that Plato put forth, and he makes reference to that, uh, that we're going to hold all things in common. Uh, we're not going to have private ownership of property. Um, and so down on the bottom of page 115, he said... Um, well, look up at the top, uh, the, the beginning of the, um, paragraph, all this while. And so they were running out of food. That's the bottom line. That's the context. Um, the ships that they had anticipated bringing new supplies there to Plymouth didn't come, and they were not producing enough food to sustain themselves. And so, all this while no supplies were heard of, nor did they know when they might expect any. No cell phones, uh, no uh, means of communication besides somebody bringing a letter or a message uh, on a ship. So they began to consider how to raise more corn and obtain a better crop than they had done so that they might not continue to endure the misery of want. At length, after much debate, the governor, with the advice of the chief among them, allowed each man to plant corn for his own household and to trust to themselves for that in all other things to go on in the general way as before. 
And so they still held to this idea, now uh, we're going to have everything in common. But in addition to that, we're going to allow each man to plant his own extra field uh, of corn. Um, and all other things go on in the general way as before. So every family was assigned a parcel of land according to, to the proportion of their number with that in view for present purposes only and making no division for inheritance, all boys and children being included under some family. This was so successful it made all hands very industrious so that much more corn was planted than otherwise would have been by any means the governor or any other could devise and saved him a great deal of trouble and gave far better satisfaction. The women now went willingly into the field and took their little ones with them to plant corn while before they would allege weakness and inability. And to have compelled them would have been thought great tyranny and oppression. The failure of this experiment of communal service, which was tried for several years, and by good and honest men proves the emptiness of the theory of Plato and other ancients, applauded by some of latter times that the taking away of private property... <coughs> and the possession of it in community by a commonwealth would make a state happy and flourishing as if they were wiser than God. For in this instance, community of property, so far as it went, was found to breed much confusion and discontent and retard much employment, which would have been to the general benefit and comfort. For the young men who were most able and fit for service objected to being forced to spend their time and strength in working for other men's wives and children without any recompense. The strong man or the resourceful man had no more share of food, clothes, etc. than the weak man who was not able to do a quarter the other could. This was thought injustice. The aged and graver men who were ranked and equalized in labor, food, clothes, etc., with the humbler and younger ones thought it some indignity and disrespect to them. As for men's wives who were obliged to do service for other men, such as cooking, washing their clothes, etc., they considered it a kind of slavery, and many husbands would not brook it. This feature of it would have been worse still if they had been men of an inferior class. If, it, is, it was thought, all were to share alike and all were to do alike, then all were on an equality throughout, and one was as good as another. And so, if it did not actually abolish those very relations which God himself has set among men, it did at least greatly diminish the mutual respect that it so it that is so important should be preserved amongst them. Let none argue that this is due to human failing, rather than to this communistic plan of life in itself. 
I answer, seeing that all men have this failing in them, that God in his wisdom saw that another plan of life was fitter for them. And so this is a fascinating little glimpse, just an illustration. And the reason why I wanted to spend some time looking uh, at this, it is um, really a shocking thing in our day and time that a growing number of people, um, particularly young people in our country under the age of uh, 25, um, a majority of them now, by a number of polls, have said that they believe that socialism is a better system for ordering society uh, than uh, capitalism. Of course, we need to define our terms. And so what do we mean when we talk about socialism? What do you think? Well, what do we mean by capitalism? I mean, these are terms that we just hear banning, bannered about just day in and day out um, in, in, in our culture. Um, socialism basically is, is um, the idea of governmental ownership and control over uh, the means of production and wealth, uh, not only of its production, but the distribution of goods, that the state, the civil government, um, is the entity that ought to own and control. Now, the differences between socialism and communism, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time uh, those can either be used as basically synonyms, and uh, there, there are differences. Communism uh, uh, views the state as the actual owner of the means of production, whereas in our modern expression of, of socialism, on paper, individual people still are allowed to own at least most of the businesses, but still behind the scenes, uh, the civil government is controlling uh, even that, uh, picking. And one of the problems that we have is the term capitalism really has been applied to this form of socialism. Uh, where we have the civil government um, picking and choosing uh, who's going to succeed in their business ventures. Um, and so there's, there's confusion of, of terms, but the term socialism basically means um, that private property uh, is either... Uh, viewed as totally uh, wrong uh, or that it is uh, controlled uh, secondarily uh, by the state. 
Karl Marx, who lived back in the 1800s, um, wrote a, um, a book, um, and, and this book on the Communist Manifesto is a, um, a book that has can be summarized basically in ten uh, planks that the state ought to implement. And uh, if you're interested in looking at these uh, ten uh, steps or planks, uh, it is shocking that in our country um, at least nine of those ten steps toward having uh, communism embraced for the civil government to control um, a, a central banking system, to control uh, um, uh, all forms of communication, to control education. Um, almost at least nine of those ten planks to some degree or another have been put in place. Uh, and so this is not just a new thing. This has been uh, a building for a long time, and particularly President Woodrow Wilson uh, was one of the first um, national figures that championed these ideas. There's another term that we need to kind of throw out and define, and that is statism. You had something. It's, I mean, we really are moving at a, a rapid pace down this road. And the reason I'm taking the time for us to look at this, I, I really do think it's important because this is going to have huge ramifications uh, for our, our families, for our church family. Uh, it, we, we, um, we need to wake up. Because every country that has embraced this philosophy, this religion, and, and we're going to talk a little bit more in just a, a moment about how this is a religion. But every country that has embraced, in the history of the world, that has embraced socialism has ended in chaos and disaster and then tyranny. Uh, because just your example about the grocery store situation, uh, because of socialist status policies that have been implemented in a lot of these cities, um, progressive cities, uh, chaos has resulted. And one of the tools that Marxists use is the whole uh, idea of uh, creating 
uh, situations of chaos. And then they step forward and say, well, we will fix it. We will solve your problem. And people, for example, if they don't have food to eat, I mean, food's a pretty important uh, part of uh, our existence. They say, oh, please, please, please fix it. Um, so um, years ago, uh, Pastor Carl Hell and I were in a, a large church meeting down in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And we were meeting at the Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church. D. James Kennedy was the pastor then, uh, back many, many years ago. Uh, he has since uh, gone to be with the Lord, but he was there, uh, of course, at this meeting. And uh, Pastor Carl Hell and I decided that we would see if we could use uh, his radio studio and interview some people that week while we were there um, for our radio broadcast here in uh, Tazewell, uh, Tazewell County. And uh, so I went to uh, his secretary's secretary, and uh, she was very gracious, and we laid our request asking if we could use his studio, and if so, if he would be willing to be interviewed. And he was just so gracious, he said, uh, of course, that he would be delighted for us to use his uh, recording studio. And um, we also interviewed R.C. Sproul. Uh, we contacted him, and he also was there. And it was fascinating, both of those men, as we began uh, talking with them, I asked them, what do you see as the greatest threat to God's people in this day? And uh, that was 30 years ago. Uh, I, you know, didn't look like an old gray-haired uh, uh, pastor back 30 years ago. Uh, but those men, they were the older men. And so what, what do you see as the greatest threat now facing the church? And I was really shocked by their statement. Uh, we interviewed them separately, but both of those men without a hesitation said statism. That they viewed this idea that the state is the savior, that the state is Messiah, that the civil government is the entity that people are going to look to and give their allegiance to in an ultimate sense. Both of those men said, that's what we see growing in this country. Well, why is, is socialism not good? Why is it sinful? Um, and so I've got six reasons. So we're going to fasten your seatbelts. We're going to really go quick. Number one, socialism, statism, communism. It denies God's assessment of human nature. 
that those systems are all based upon, first and foremost, that God says mankind is fallen, that his nature is, is corrupted by sin. Um, and we could look at a number of passages of Scripture. In Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall. In Romans chapter 5, we see that because of one man's sin, all sinned in Adam. And of course, the gospel is that God has sent the last Adam, his son, the Lord Jesus, to come and take on human flesh. And through one man's obedience and dying as the substitute on the cross, all who trust in him. And so here are these two covenant heads. The first Adam, the covenant of, of works, and that's why there's death. It is because we are all fallen in Adam. And God sends the last Adam and he comes and unlike the first Adam, he perfectly obeys. But he lays down his life taking the penalty of the breaking of that covenant of works upon himself. This scheme of socialism denies that basic truth and fact about human nature, that we are fallen and in need of a redeemer. And this scheme of socialism, this false religion of Marxism, of communism, is predicated on the idea that man is basically good and that the mechanism by which this goodness will be harnessed and realized is man in a collective sense being represented by the civil government. And so that's the first thing. The second thing is socialism denies God's reign and ownership of everything. Uh, uh, turn with me to Psalm 24. Psalm 24. The earth is the states and the fullness. No. <laughs> the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. And again, the false religion of socialism, Marxism, is based upon a view that denies not only who man is, but it denies who God is. It denies even the very existence of God. Why is it that socialistic states make war without exception against biblical Christianity? It is because they understand that at the very root of their religion, a different God must be put into place. Um, it is uh, this, this uh, concept that God created and sustains and owns everything that Marxism absolutely 
hates because they realize that it is the basis upon which they will not be viewed as the owners of everything. They will not be viewed as the ultimate source of help and hope. And so that's why communist China hates uh, Christianity. That's why the old Soviet Union hated Christianity. That is why Venezuela and Cuba will not tolerate biblical Christianity. Um, Romans chapter 11, verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And so that's the second reason why the religion of socialism uh, is evil. Thirdly, uh, socialism, communism, Marxism, statism denies God's command and instruction to us to own property as his stewards and to respect the property of others. Um, the Ten Commandments, again, um, the first commandment, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, the preface, and then you shall have no other gods before me. Uh, socialism claims that the state is the ultimate owner and one who is wise uh, to provide. Um, but the Bible says, no, God Almighty is the owner of everything. And God says that we are to acknowledge um, that God in his providence, in the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal. Um, that commandment is based upon that people own a particular entity, possessions, and it's wrong for other people to steal, to take uh, what God has entrusted in his providence um, to you. Um, socialism says the state owns everything, and the state is the entity uh, that um, we ought to bow before. Uh, biblical Christianity, the Bible teaches that God uh, commands us to own property as his stewards and respect the property of others that he has entrusted to. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, we see, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now we're going to get to this matter of who is responsible for taking care of people in need in just a moment. 
um, the Bible teaches that, yes, we need to take care of those who are in need. But the question is not whether people ought to be taken care of, but who is responsible to take care of people in need and, and how. Um, we live in, in a culture now where we are so far down the road of statism, if there's a need in a community or a society, people automatically think what? They've, they've embraced the religion of statism and they automatically think the civil government ought to fix this. Uh, they ought to provide for this. Congress ought to pass a law. Uh, Richmond, Charleston ought to do something about this. And yes, civil government has a proper role to play in ordering society. We're not denying that at all. But it, as we will see, is not to own and then to redistribute wealth. Um, there is a, a book. Have, anybody ever read Animal Farm? Okay. If you haven't read Animal Farm, I would encourage you to get a copy and read Animal Farm. All animals are equal. Uh, only some animals are more equal than others. And see, that's what happens in socialism. Uh, how, how is it that the people who are uh, the leaders end up multi-multi-millionaires? Uh, how does that happen? Uh, the advocates of socialism, like Senator Bernie Sanders. Um, you know, he, he claims to be a socialist. Um, he, he owns multiple houses, and he is a multi-millionaire. How'd that happen? Um, well, all animals are equal. Some animals are more equal than others. Well... The fourth thing is, socialism, the religion of statism, denies God's appointed means for gathering wealth and providing for our sustenance. And, and the Bible has four basic ways that we are to gain wealth. We've just read about one of them in Ephesians chapter 4, and that is work in a noble calling. Okay, a vocation. And any calling that is legitimate in God's sight is a noble calling, a godly calling. In other words, God doesn't call people to be uh, um, um, professional gamblers uh, or prostitutes uh, or drug dealers that <laughs> obviously are not noble callings but any noble calling and we see Adam when he was created what did God give him to do he was a husbandman he was a keeper of the garden um, he, he was a farmer um, in our day and time 
uh, there is a, a great disdain for most noble callings, particularly from the elites in uh, our, our country. Uh, but God has gifted people to do work. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 um, is another passage that uh, we could spend time looking at, but we'll just briefly, in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul said in verse 6, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us, the apostolic teaching uh, in Holy Scripture. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right. You remember when the Lord Jesus sent the disciples out in the Gospels? Uh, he sent them out and said, Take no money with you, for the laborer is worthy of his wage. It is a legitimate thing uh, for preachers of the gospel to earn their living preaching the gospel. Uh, when I first came here to Tazewell as a young man, um, I was 25 years old, and many times people would say, Do you work or are you a preacher? I always thought that was the interesting question. And I knew what people meant by it. In other words, do I have a tent-making ministry in addition? Uh, and that's what the Apostle Paul, that's where we get the term tent-making ministry from. The Apostle Paul, uh, he was a tent-maker. He, he sewed tents together. That was his calling, his vocation, his work. And when God called him to preach the gospel, when he would go to a place, many times he saw that people did not understand the place and blessing of work. And so instead of exercising the right that he had to earn his living through the preaching of the gospel, he didn't exercise that right so that he could help people learn the blessing and place and duty and privilege and joy of work. And that's what he's referring to here. It is not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Now that kind of sounds a little jarring. God says, if you're able-bodied, and of course, if you're not able-bodied, uh, this is assuming that you're able to work. And if you're able to work and you're not willing to work, God says, then you shouldn't eat. Um, so that's the first way. The second way is gifts or Christian charity. And we could go over to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 5. If you'll turn there, <coughs> we have reference in God's Word to 
people who were not able to care for themselves. They, they had labored during their years when they were physically able, but now they're at a place where they can't do what they used to do. And so who's supposed to take care of them? Well, we see here in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 3 and following, Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. And there used to be an adage that you would hear, charity begins where? At home. You don't hear that talked about in our day and time. Why? It's because of the false religion of statism. People no longer think in terms of, I have the joy and the privilege and the duty to exercise the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother. And that includes taking care of them uh, when they get to the place where they can't take care of of themselves. And of course, this applies to young people if they are um, in need of care, uh, little babies, young people, children uh, that are sick, young people uh, that are not able to care for themselves. Uh, God says charity begins at home. Well, if a family can't or refuses to care for them, then who? is supposed to take care of those who are in need. Well, in verse 8, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And I love the old King James here, worse than an infidel. Uh, that, that, you know, worse than an infidel. Woo! Verse 9, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age. Um, having been the wife of one husband, having a reputation for good works if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of saints. Um, in other words, the church has a responsibility to care for those who, who are in need, but there are strings attached. And, and the, the modern, quote-unquote, welfare system that we have is destroying people because it is just handing out, uh, distributing goods with no moral strings attached to them. And what happens? Whatever you subsidize, you're going to get more of. And so if, if you can be able-bodied and, and able to work, but you refuse to work, uh, what do you think is going to happen in a society if that is subsidized? It will grow. Um, well, we have this list um, that God uh, describes for us uh, here uh, that... Uh, these uh, particularly uh, ladies uh, are being mentioned here. But that's the backdrop of what we see in the book of Acts, um, chapter 6, with the formation of the office of deacon. Uh, there were some widows that were being overlooked 
in the dis- distribution of, of food. Uh, some of the Greek uh, widows. And um, so that's the second uh, legitimate way of providing for sustenance. It is uh, for families and for the bigger family, the church of the Lord Jesus, to care uh, for those who are in need. The third uh, is an inheritance. The book of Proverbs says that a godly man provides for his children's children. Um, some of the laws that have been passed by our civil government um, are, are wicked because they deny uh, the ability of families to pass on wealth to succeeding generations. And again, they're biblically are strings attached to those inheritance from families. Uh, God says that we ought not be subsidizing evil. And so if a child or a grandchild uh, um, shows that they do not love the Lord Jesus, uh, then we don't uh, support uh, that, not because we hate them, but because we love them in the Lord Jesus. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Here's another passage that talks about an inheritance. Verse 14, here for the third time, I am ready to come to you and I will not be a burden for I will seek not what is yours but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents. And what's all this deficit spending? Um, that's going on in our country. You see, statism denies the order that God has established. Statism says that it is the obligation of our children's children's children uh, to be stuck with the bill of our extravagant overspending today. Uh, But that's not what God says. Uh, God says that parents are to save up for our children, and that's inheritance. And then the fourth way, and we uh, don't have time to spend a, a, a lot of time. We're about out of time. In Luke chapter 19, uh, we see restitution. And here we have the example of a, a, a chief tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus. You remember the song Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Savior he wanted to see. And Jesus stops by the tree and says what? Zacchaeus, come on down. Uh, I'm going to your house. And Zacchaeus, in verse 5 of Luke 19, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. 
And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. <coughs> For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so here's Zacchaeus doing what? He's practicing restitution. He personally had sinned taking undue from people. And he said, I'm going to restore fourfold uh, what I have taken uh, from those uh, illegitimately. That's the fourth thing. It denies God's appointed means for gathering wealth and for providing for our sustenance. Fifth, socialism, false religion, denies God's commands and instructions to the civil government. Romans 13, God says the civil government is what? God's servant, God's minister, to protect what God says is good and punish what God says is evil. And then the last thing, uh, it denies God's teaching that the civil government is not the Savior and it's not the God men ought to worship. Psalm 146 says, Put not your trust where? In princes, uh, nor depend on man uh, for help. Uh, God is the one that we look to. Jesus is Lord of everything, not the federal government. And so uh, I'd hope we'd have time to go over and look at Acts chapter 2 and chapter 4 and the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 and Genesis chapter 47. But Hopefully Sam will be back next week, uh, but maybe the next time I have the opportunity, we'll look at those passages uh, that I've just mentioned because uh, the Bible does not teach socialism. Uh, dangerous, false religion. And uh, may God give us joy to walk by faith in Jesus and all the rest of what God says in his word. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It is sweet and precious to us. We thank you that you are the one who orders society. Uh, Lord, you tell us that um, a capitalism divorced from uh, the gospel and the Bible is not what we are advocating. Uh, obviously, we've talked about socialism being a false religion, uh, but any system that denies you, uh, Lord, is, is going to produce uh, sorrow and chaos and, and great harm. Uh, Lord, thank you that you are the Savior. Uh, Lord, please send your spirit and awaken the people of our land to turn their back on this false Messiah, the civil magistrate, and run to you, Lord Jesus, the only true Savior. Lord, bless us now as we fellowship and prepare our hearts to worship. In Jesus we pray, amen.